This is the Motion Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like more information about Motion Church, you can always visit our website at motionchurch.com. If you'd like to contribute to what God is doing here at Motion, you can do that at motionchurch.com forward slash give. We hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, what's up, everybody? That was pretty good. The first experience did better, but that was pretty good. I'm just, I'm, they really did. They, uh, they shocked me. They were, they were like, wow, and I was like, I feel like a big deal. Um, I am not, but I felt like one for a moment, for just a moment. So, uh, as you can see, we're not, we're not. I, I, I guess I've been saying this a lot the last few few weeks. We're not terrible at spelling. Um, there, that was intentional. So that the word is beautitudes. Uh, that is not a word, but it is around here. It's beautitudes. So kind of what we've been doing the last few weeks is we've been looking at the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. Beatitudes is kind of a, it's a clever way, a fancy way of saying blessings. So in Matthew chapter 5, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes through this list of blessings. And what's interesting is like, it's things that we wouldn't normally or necessarily consider blessings, but, but Jesus said that it was. So for us to understand it and what it means to us, I think is really important. So we're looking at these blessings, these Beatitudes, but we're looking at it from a, a pretty specific angle, and that angle is how do we have, because we don't always have, how do we have a better attitude? How do we have a good attitude? How do we have the right attitude? What is the right attitude? Uh, because I don't think the right attitude is necessarily the way that we would generally understand a good attitude, because I think we understand a good attitude is you just smile all the time. And what I've figured out is like people that smile all the time can be jerks too right? Like you can smile and still not have the right attitude. Like Shelly is so good at this and I'm not going to throw her under the bus, but Shelly, like she can tell you what's up and still have a smile on her face. I am in, I am incapable of doing that because by the time I'm ready to tell you what's up, like I am not smiling. Like I'm just, I'm not there. It's just, it's a supernatural spiritual gift. I think it's, it's crazy. And so anyway, the, the reason that we're, we're discussing this, we're kind of delving into this topic is because I've been thinking a lot in general about attitude because mine's not always great stop laughing and you know what I've been around some of y'all yours ain't always great either right and and I just know it's something that so many people struggle with so many people are trying to figure out what it means and, and again very specifically what it means to have the right attitude to have a beautiful attitude to have a beautitude from the perspective of I'm a follower of Jesus right I am a I'm a Christian I'm trying to represent Jesus well so what is my attitude supposed to be? What does that look like? And so lucky for us, fortunate for us, this passage has a lot of insight as it relates to attitude. The first week we talked about being meek. And when we hear meek, we hear weak, but meek is not weak. In fact, meek is incredibly strong. When, when you choose to not be the star of the show, when you choose to take a, kind of a second seat and remember that, that Jesus is the hero of the story. And I know when we write the story, we like to we like to write ourselves in as the hero, and you're not, and I'm not, and we'll never be. Jesus is the hero, right? We just have, we have a minor role in the story. We have a part to play, yes, 100%, but you're not the hero, I'm not the hero. Let's choo choose meekness instead. And then last week, we talked about the, the passage, the verse where it says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And so we talked about what it means to be merciful. This week, we're going to cover another topic. Let's read the whole passage, and then we'll dive into our topic for the day. Everybody good with that? I mean, we're doing it regardless, so everybody good with that? All right. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10, it says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so just really quick, just 
such kind of a juxtaposition, right? It's kind of ironic. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We don't generally associate associate blessing with being poor in spirit. But Jesus, again, kind of uses all of these examples to point out some, some truths that I think are worth considering. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what I, I think as kind of as we read through that passage, you know what stands out to me or what, what seems to be the case to me is basically everything that we're told in this life is important. Jesus turns it upside down on its head. For example, like just one thing that jumps out. Blessed are those who are hung, who hunger and thirst for righteous, righteousness. From a, from a very young age, we are told that we're supposed to, to go after and pursue things that we find out later in life don't actually matter. Right? So from the time you, you go into school at four years old, five years old, six years old, you go to school for 13 years. It's more like a prison, really, if you think about it. Like we put them in these cinder block walls and you're not allowed to leave and we determine who comes in. Sounds a lot like jail to me, right? Just kidding. I mean, consider it, right? So, so you go all of these years to, to school and the message is always, what are you going to do with your life? What career is it that you're going to pursue? And obviously that's an important thing, but what's more important than that is who are you going to be? Not what are you going to do, who are you going to be? Like what, what is your life going to be about? What, what, is, what is you as a person? Who are you going to be? What mark are you going to make on the world around you? Now, if that, that involves what it is that you do and what, is, what it is that you create, that's fine. But we don't emphasize the right things, right? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Don't hunger and thirst for attention for yourself and what it is that you can obtain. And so, at any rate, that's, we're not even talking about that one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. This is our topic for the day. It says this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, that is a, a powerful, it's short, succinct, and rich, right? So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're going to break this down. The title for today's message is doubly pure, doubly pure. Dub, doubly is a, it's a fun word to say. It's kind of like bubbly, doubly, bubbly, doubly. And, and so the idea here is it, it'll make more sense in a minute, but I was thinking about kind of the, uh, the idea of purifying things, right? And so a lot of times you don't just purify something one time, you purify it a couple of times, right? It distilled water, apparently. So we did this whole deep dive. Do y'all ever have like random thoughts like what makes water distilled? And then you Google like what is distilled water and you learn about the whole process. And I'm just like, why did I waste 15 minutes of my life figuring out what, what distilled water is? Does anybody else do stupid stuff like that? Like, and, and here's where it gets dangerous is like when that thought then spurs another thought and then the next thing you know, you're at the bottom of a wormhole, which is bottomless. It's not good. And so when we purify things, we, we generally don't purify it one time. We purify it again and again. So that's kind of where the idea of doubly pure comes from. Also, it has a double meaning, which we'll get to in a minute. Let's talk about being pure in heart. So there's, there's two phrases in this, this scripture, this passage, that, that kind of we can break down into sections. The first one, it says, blessed are the pure in heart. That's the first part. And then the second part says that for they shall see God. So we're going to kind of talk about each of those individually. Pure in heart. That's our first point. So Jesus tells us that we will be blessed if we are pure in heart. 
not a terribly difficult concept to, to understand if we give it some time and attention, and so that's what we're going to do. Now, there is so much more that we could get into that we don't have time to get into, but we're going to get kind of a surface-level understanding of what it means to be pure in heart. You start with reading all of it, right? How many of you are bad about, you read, you skim? Any skimmers? Uh, how many of you... How many of you have misread headlines, for example? I, like, I do this and I'm like, what? And then I'm like, oh, that's not what you said. What I thought you said, and then I got mad about the thing that you didn't say that I thought you said. Uh, so, so what it says in full is, blessed are the pure in heart. And so what we do, like kind of, maybe it's a human thing, maybe it's a cultural thing, but, but we put so much more emphasis on the things that are going outside than the things that are happening inside. And so Jesus makes it very clear that purity is in the heart. And, and the reason this is so important is because what happens outside doesn't necessarily determine what happens inside, but what happens inside definitely determines what happens outside. I'm going to go a little bit slower and say that one more time, right? Like what happens outside, the things that you do don't necessarily determine who you are, but who you are will definitely determine what you do. Does that make sense? And so that's why Jesus, the, the order of things matters, right? There is a process. God is the creator. We, we, I, one of the, my favorite topics, and I think it comes up very often outside of football, is the fact I talk about football entirely too much, and I'm trying to get better about it, but sometimes I can't help myself, and it just is what it is, right? Uh, but, but one of the things that we talk about a lot is, is how God is the creator, and if God is the creator of everything that is, and I believe that he is, he is an artist, and this artist leaves these, these signatures and leaves these glimpses of himself in the things that he creates. And so in creation, we see that there is an order. There is a process. Life is an order. It has a process. It's the life cycle, right? And it's something that can be determined and predicted. It's There's the way that things work. That's how it works. That's not, right? Helpful? Okay, good. So there's an order. And, and I think what we do is we tend to, we tend to override the process and focus on the outcome. But God is much more interested in our hearts than he is the things that are going on outside. Now, this is, it can be confusing because obviously we're not saying that what you do doesn't matter, but what you do doesn't matter as much as who you are. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? So there's a concept that, that goes back literally thousands of years. Y'all know what we do is like we, we like to think that our problems are the, the first time in the history of humanity that the world has experienced our problems. And our problems are so much more difficult and so much harder than it was hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago. And, and it's like they just don't know what it's like to have to deal with a cell phone. And I got this, I got a cell, they don't understand what it's like to deal with technology. I'm like, no, but they were fighting bears with their bare hands. So it's, it's, a, little, it's a little different. Like we have toilets that flush, they pooped in the ground. Okay, a lot different. They had, they had like just much more difficult things to deal with, I think, than we do. But we put our problems, like we elevate our problems, like beyond what I, th I think our problems actually are. So one of the things, one of the problems that we have is, again, this emphasis on the exterior, this, the outside, whereas the emphasis should be on the inside. But this is an age-old problem. This is a problem that's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So you go back to the story in the Old Testament of King David, before David was King David, when David was just David, right? So David was, was this, this, the youngest of several brothers. And it was kind of like, as I, as I read this story, I think about when we were in elementary 
is elementary or elementary. It just depends on who you ask, right? When you were in uh, K through five, how about that? When you were in, in school and y'all would go to the playground and it was all about the activities in the playground. Like, I don't even remember. I, obviously, we learned things in school, but I don't remember any of that stuff. I remember going to the playground. And so when we went to the playground, like, you would pick teams for whatever particular activity, soccer, dodgeball, kickball, whatever, right? And so you would pick teams. Everybody would line up in a line. I'm not even sure who determined, like, who the team captains were or how, how all of that came about. So you have the team captains. Everybody's in a line. And what do you do? You, you pick the ones that look like they're the best players, and you select those as the first pick in the draft. And then it's so sad when you think about it, right? Like, let's just say you're a little slower developing physically, like you were a late bloomer, and you're just sitting on the sidelines, and you get, like, all mopey and sad. And then you're the – if you're Mr. Insignificant, if you're the last pick in the draft, like, you didn't even get picked. Like, by default, they had to put you on their team – because you were the last one that was standing there. I don't, why do we, I don't know why we do this. Here, here's a, let me offer up a better solution. Like, a, here's an alternative to that. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, right? And, but y'all know we still cheat because we're like, okay, let me get, don't want to be on his team. We're just devilish, right? All right, so this is, it's an age-old thing. And so this situation where, where you, you line them up and you pick who you think is the best has been going on for a long time. So Samuel was the person who was responsible for selecting the next king of Israel. So he goes to the house of, of David. He goes to his father's house, and he sees David's brother, Eliab, and he's like, that's got to be the one. Like, that dude, he looks like a king. Have y'all met people that just look like they, they're a leader? They look like they could just, you know, take, take charge and, and be responsible, and it's the kind of person that you would want to follow. I met a guy one time. His last name was Champion, and he was like 6'3", 240, and I'm like, it's not fair. Like, you don't get to have that name and that physique and that stature, and, and it's just like this stupid package, and like, my last name's Reed. What are you going to go do, read a book? Like, I dealt with all this stuff as a child. You did too, right? Like, just... But your last name wasn't Champion. Like, not, it's completely nonsense. I'm, I'm so upset with my parents at this particular moment in my life, right? And so all of this is going on. David is about to be selected as the king, but Samuel is, is looking for the wrong things. I'll read the, the passage, and then we'll talk about it. It says this, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We focus on the outside. And, and let's be honest, right? It's because it's what we can see. Like, I, I'm, I'm not weird. I can't see your heart. Now, I can see your heart based on the things that you do, but it's, that takes more work. That takes more effort. That takes more time being around you. So what we do is we judge people based on the things that we see them do, and we don't take the time to get to know them and know their heart. God knows your heart. And that's what he's looking at. He's interested in your heart because he knows that if he gets your heart, everything else will follow. And what we do is we put the emphasis on behavior, whereas God is interested in the heart. And the reason this is so important is because having a pure heart can result in pure actions, but having pure actions won't necessarily result in having a pure heart. 
Sometimes it does. Sometimes, like, I've seen people who are like, okay, I'm going to start going to church. I still, my life is a mess. I don't have things figured out. I don't have it all together. But they start going to church, and, and it's like the longer you do it, you start to pick up on some things. And as you pick up on some things, it starts to change the way that you feel about things. And as it changes the way you feel about things, over time, your heart starts to change. But that's not necessarily the case. But if you do get this heart thing right, then everything else falls into place. Here's how Jesus said it, Matthew chapter 15, verses 16 through 20, and it starts pretty strong. He says this, are you still so dull? That's a kind way of saying, are you, are you stupid? What, are you stupid or something, right? Are you, and, and I just, I imagine, I don't know that, that Jesus used like hand signals and stuff, but in my mind, in this moment, it would be a great time. He's like, are you still so dull, right? What are you, dumb or something? I don't know why I put like a, a Brooklyn accent with that. But anyway, are you still so dull? Jesus asked him, and then he said this. Again, he's like, like you, man, I've been telling you guys, and we've been talking about this, and, and process, and order, and get first things first, and everything else falls into place. And he says this, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? If that were a text, Jesus would have just used the poop emoji, right? So, so the idea is like what goes in from the outside can be taken care of, right? And there's a kind of a natural process and natural explanation for that. But this is the focus here. Verse 18, it says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So he's, he's talking very specifically about what people eat because they would focus on the wrong things, right? The emphasis was on what are you eating? Are you washing your hands before you're eating? And their hearts were wicked, and they weren't concerned about that. They were just concerned about what they were eating and what everybody else was eating. Does that sound like an American problem? That's like, we, we are so concerned, like, what are they doing? What have they got going on? And you're, we're not worried about the, the, the mess that's going on, the chaos that's going on in our own hearts. We're so focused on the wrong things so often. I need a moment. Can I have a, a moment? So, so this is what the takeaway is. Like the, the things that are on the inside are the things that matter. That's what he's after. And so I love in verse 18, it says how uh, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And so, so many times, how many times have you heard somebody say, uh, let's say something bad happens and it kind of catches them off guard and they say something that they shouldn't have said and they're like, oh, it was a, a slip of the tongue. Y'all ever heard that expression? I'm like, no, it's not a slip of the tongue. It's an outburst of the heart is what it is. Like there's a, something that's in the heart that's coming out the mouth. And so, and that's, that's not necessarily, that doesn't make you a terrible person. It just reminds you that the heart is always in need of work constantly needs to be attended to. So, so one other way I think we can understand kind of having a pure heart is, is to understand it from, we, we talk about purity a lot in so many other areas of life. For example, like one of the big trends today is pure food, pure food, uh, which by the way, like pure food is not pure food if you get down into the like kind of what pure actually is. And organic is not organic. It was organic 14 days ago, or it's, it's only been organic for 14 days. It wasn't organic before that. And you just got duped based on the regulations of the FDA. 
You'll watch the documentaries. Like, you'll never eat food again. You're like, I'm just going to die. Like, forget it. Just, for, I give it up. All of it. I'm going to start eating grass. I'm going to be a cow. Just, I mean, I'm already a cow. I'm just eat grass, right? Um, so, so we talk about pure food. Like, and this idea of things being clean is very interesting to us. One other thing that, that we use purity with a lot would be, like, precious metals, right? Pure silver, pure gold. When we went on a cruise one time, you go to, you go to like, Cozumel, for example, and they're very known for selling jewelry. And so they would do, oh, before you got off of the ship, they would always talk. They, they were courses. You would have to go to, they would want you to go to, we would never go to a class. Um, like, we just, that's not us. We're going to figure things out as we go. And so they would want you to go to a class on, like, how to buy the right kind of jewelry, and it had to be stamped with the .995 indicating that it was mostly pure, right? It was, it was pretty pure. It was pure enough to be considered pure. And I think that's such a great, to me, it's great imagery of what purity looks like in our life. It's like, hey, you're never going to be 100% because you're not Jesus, right? I'm never going to be 100% because I'm not Jesus. But, but we can work towards being more pure. We can work towards being mostly pure. We can work to being having more purity in our life than we have impurity in our life. And I think that's kind of where the idea of process comes back into the equation. How, how do we then get from this place of, of having more impurity and having more purity, having less impurity and having more purity? Does it, I lost myself in that. Did I lose anybody else with me? So we're trying to be less pure, less impure, and more pure. And how do we get, think about it in terms of numbers, right? Purity would be 100% right? You and I will never be 100%. We, we can work our way towards that, but I don't think, I've never met anybody that's, that's 100%. Uh, if you are, take my job. Like, please, please. Like, I, I want to come listen to how it is that you got to where you're at uh, versus the other way around, right? So, so I don't think we ever get to the place of being 100%, but we can work our way towards that. And, and here's where we, we start. It's like may, maybe stop being 50-50. Maybe be 51-49, and, and you kind of work your way up from there. James 4, verse 8, it, I think this will help us understand this a little bit better. It says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, and I love the way it adds this, you sinners. And it's, it's not, that's not a, a slight, that's not kind of a, a, a you know, throw in shade, that's just a statement of fact. Cleanse your hands. Because we are sinners, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, you men of double mind, you people of double mind. So the idea here is, like, we want to purify our hearts, and one of the ways that we can purify our hearts is by stop being double-minded. So to, to not be double-minded is a way that we can purify our hearts. Double-minded, let's, let's understand what double-minded means. To be double-minded means, and I'm trying to think of like the, the kindest way to say this, um, because you don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to make any, okay, I'm fixing to offend some people. It's fine. Like, so double-minded is this. Double-minded is I say one thing and I do another. And even though I said that one thing, I didn't really mean that one thing. I just I said it so that people would think a certain thing about me, but what I said is not what I actually do and what I'm about. Double-minded is, well, I went to church on Sunday, and I thought about God while I was there, and I thought about you know him and his love for me and how good he is, but then I left church on Sunday, and I didn't think about God the rest of the week. That is a double-minded person. Double-minded is somebody who separates like who they are and, and, and kind of their understanding of, of God and their lo- his love for them 
and they separate him out from every other aspect of their life. It's like, yes, I love God, and God has a plan for my life, and, and I want to follow him, but I'm not going to invite him into my family. I'm not going to invite him into my work. I'm not going to invite him into my friendships. A double-minded person is a person who changes how they are, how they act, and how they talk based on the groups of people that they're with. Has any, can we be honest? Has anybody ever done that? Like, I, I have caught myself, like, I talk different sometimes depending on who I'm around. And I'm just like, stop being stupid, stupid. Are you so dull? Are you still so dull that you're focusing on the wrong things? Stop being double-minded. Be, be more pure. Like, here, here's the thing. I think we can get to the place, and I believe the desire for God from us, or from God for us, is for us to get to the place that we don't have to change who we are based on who we're around. We are who we are, and we have this firm confidence in him and who he's made us to be so that we don't have to kind of like try to fit in with groups of people. Either they like us or they don't, right? Either they're cool with us or they're not, and that doesn't change how I feel about myself, and that doesn't change how God feels about me, and that's enough for me. I think that would be a great place to start when it comes to, so the opposite of double-minded would be single-minded, not quadruple-minded, right? That would, that's schizophrenia. That's not good. So, so the goal is to go from double-minded to single-minded. To be single-minded means that, that God is part of, he's, he, it's not like, I don't want us to confuse this. Like to be single-minded doesn't mean that we're monks. And it doesn't mean that we go live in a monastery somewhere and all we do are Gregorian chants and learn Latin and Greek and Hebrew and that's all, of the, all that our lives are, which is, I think that's incredible. But I also think that if you, you remove yourself from influencing the world, you're kind of missing the point of the entire gospel because the gospel is to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, right? And you can't do that if you're removing yourself from, it's like how significant is light if it never encounters darkness? I think our job is to be light that shines in the darkness. And so to be single-minded is not to be, to be completely removed from the world, but it's to be able to be the person that God has called you to be in every area of your life. It's that, that I've invited God into my family. I've, in, I've invited God into my workspace. I've invited God into my decision-making. I've invited God into my thinking I've invited God into the way that I speak. I've invited God into every part of my life. And ultimately, I understand that, that Jesus is the backdrop for everything that I do, that I say, every interaction that I have. It, it's like we just start to see things from a completely different perspective. We make it much less about us and what we can get out of it and much more about him and, and what he can do with us in that particular situation. Is that helpful? I sure hope so, because I gave it my best shot. And if it's not, that's on you. I'm just kidding. I'm just try I'm trying to figure out a way to be single-minded about it, right? So, so I think the idea here, again, is just to, to allow every thought to be guided by his character, the way that we think about things, the way that we think about people. All of it needs to be framed from this understanding of who Jesus is. And, and that's what single-minded is. It's not that all we ever do or all we ever talk about is God, but it's ultimately everything is kind of driven and guided by that. So that's what it means, part of what it means to be pure in heart. Let's talk about the blessing, on to the blessing. Now, let me, let me start by saying I'm always hesitant to use, I don't even like to use the word blessing, even though it's clearly in Scripture, because we, we have, in my opinion, we have so perverted the word blessing for it to mean something that it doesn't mean, right? 
and, and the American church is probably the, the most guilty. I'm not, I'm not super familiar with every other church and every other nationality. But, but in America, what we do is like we treat God, we have treated God as if he is a slot machine. And we're like, okay, God, I got my tokens. I'm going to put them in. I'm going to say some, some prayers. I'm going to do some nice things. And now I need you to bless me because I am so good. And God's blessing is not based on how good you are. God's blessing is based on how good he is in spite of your goodness or, you know, in, in the face of your lack of goodness and my lack of good. That's what a blessing is. And I think we've just messed this thing up a lot because what we do is like, well, he's our father and he wants to bless us. Yes, he does. But, but he also doesn't want children who just hang around him for the blessings that he gives to them. He wants children who hang around him because they're, that's their father and they want to be in his presence and with him and aren't just angling to get something from him. Oh, good morning. We're all feeling it this morning. In fact, can I, can I, can I be honest with you guys for just a minute? I wag my tail sometimes too. It's cool. We used to, so Shelly and I, we grew up, Shelly grew up in like a Pentecostal church. Like, not like super Pentecostal, not like the skirts and, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, that's a fair explanation. Yeah, that, that would be United Pentecost, but very charismatic. So Shelly went to like tent meetings and tent revivals and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and so the church that I started going to when she invited me to go to church, it was a charismatic church, about set my skin on fire. I was terrified. I was like, it was way more exciting than any other church I'd been to. I was like, this is cool. I don't understand anything that's happening, but I'm down. I like it. It's interesting. And, and so what happens a lot of times in charismatic churches is like the emphasis maybe unintentionally gets put on the blessing and not the giver of the blessing, right? And, and people are so focused on what they can get from God, and they're not really as focused on what it is that they're supposed to give to God, which is their entire lives, which is that single-mindedness. So we used to sing a song in, in these uh, charismatic churches, and it was like one of the lines was, I'm going to get my blessing right now, and like over and over and over, and I just, I wouldn't sing it. I refused. I protested, right? And you, it's hard to protest in a charismatic church because you're supposed to be like, you know, so I stuck out like a sore thumb. Like there was, I'll, this is, I'm going way too deep on this one. So there was a guy, and, and we love this guy. He actually, he performed our wedding ceremony. Like he was a pastor for years and years. And so anyway, when the music got good, my man would do the Tootsie Roll. That was like the Jesus Tootsie Roll. He's like, you remember? I can't do it anymore. I used to be able to do it. So that's when you know it's getting good. When, when Pastor Dale is doing the Tootsie Roll, God is moving. Like, things are about to get gone. Like, in, at any point in moment, somebody's about to take off around the room on a Jericho march. It's going to be real, real. And so the, the, one of the downsides, and I love all of that stuff, but one of the downsides is, like, unfortunately, the, the emphasis a lot of times is on the blessing from God and not God himself, who then, in his goodness, decides to bless us. And so all of that to say, let's talk about the blessing of God, right? Um, did I just completely destroy it? No, I'm just kidding. I think you understand where I'm coming from. So let's talk about Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Seeing God is a blessing from God. And, and I, don't know, I don't know that we always think about it like that. I don't know that we always see it like that. But seeing God is a blessing from God. So let's talk about what this phrase means. To, to, again, having a pure heart is a blessing that results in seeing God. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5, it says this. Who may ascend onto the hill of the Lord? Now, this is language that we don't generally use anymore. We understand God as, as being, you know, Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, right? So we view God, we understand God as a God who is our ever-present help in the time of need. 
So a lot of times the language, language that was used in the Old Testament was, was God was kind of at the top of this hill, this top of the top of this mountain, and, and our job was to, to climb that mountain to get to him. Now, Jesus, fortunately for us, turned that thing upside down. He was like, hey, I'm going to come down off of the mountain and come down to where you are because I'm a God that's with you. I'm a God that identifies with all the things that you go through and all of your struggles and all your temptations. It's one of the things that makes Jesus so appealing and attractive, right? But in the Old Testament, like it was this view of God that he was distant, and we had to get ourselves to him. So this is what it says. Who may ascend onto the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? One who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to deceit and has not sworn deceitfully. So, so who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can get to this place where God is? One who has clean hands and a pure heart. And then it kind of re-emphasizes this idea of one who is not double-minded, one who has not lifted up his soul to deceit. He's not deceptive. He's not telling you one thing and doing another or, or saying this over here and acting differently over here and has not sworn deceitfully. And then it says this, he will receive a blessing from the Lord. So, so the idea of like God giving us, granting us his presence, us seeing him, results from having pure hearts, and that is a blessing from God. I think it's, it's such a, a significant thing for us to understand and remember that, that having a pure heart grants us access to the presence of God, and that is one of the greatest blessings of the life of a follower of Jesus. How powerful is it to know that regardless of where you go in your life, no matter, again, like that last song that we sang, like no matter what I've done and no matter where I've been, like that I am not alone, you are still with me. Jesus said things like, no matter where you go, if you go to the ends of the earth, I'm with you always, even to that place. And so it's kind of this, this strong understanding that God is with us wherever we go. His presence is a blessing in our lives. And that's what Jesus is saying. So, so let's go back to the, the life of David real quick. We talked about him earlier. Let's talk about David again. So we talked well about David the first time. We're going to throw some shade on David the second time. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. Or maybe we will. I don't know. Let's talk about David. So, so David, he had been selected as king. Again, kind of he experienced every aspect, you know, from the different spectrums of life. So he went from, from being this lonely, isolated shepherd boy all the way up to being the king of Israel. And now he has done some really despicable things. And I think he's kind of, he's experiencing some of, some of the other dynamics of life. And this is what it says. Psalm 51 verses 10 through 11, it says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So, so David had done some, again, some really disastrous, despicable things. He, he'd sinned probably beyond what any of us will ever sin in our entire life. Not only did, if you know the story of Bathsheba, not only did he commit adultery, but then he also had somebody killed to cover up his adultery. I don't know many people who have been hiring hitmen. I mean, you guys act like you're not shocked that I'm going to stop talking may uncover some things that I didn't want to uncover. So, so David had done some pretty awful things. And, and so here, we, this was his request. In the face of these awful things that he had done, he's the king. 
He's, he's got this incredible position of authority and power. He's got immeasurable riches. He's got vast domains of land. And he doesn't ask for God to protect any of those things. He says, God, do not, please do not. He begs of God to not take his presence away from him. Now, I think David, as bad as he screwed up, was pure of heart. And he understood that ultimately God's presence is the most important thing in our life. It's not all of these things that we can have, all of these things that we can accumulate, these, these vast riches and these spoils. It's not about any of those things. It's not about position. It's not about authority. It is about the presence of God making a difference in our life. And David begged God not to strip that away from him because David knew that if he had that, he had everything that he needed. You can take all of the other stuff away, but as long as I have God's presence, I have everything that I need. You, you can take, listen, I've already told y'all, if you don't clap, you got to come in strong, right? Because I'm not good with the pause, and that's on me, right? I like to go straight from one thing to the other. Like, we just move quickly. So if you're going to clap, you got to, let's go. What? Not now. So, so David just, he understood, man, you can take everything else away from me. You can take all of the, the, the money that I have. You can take all of my position, all of my titles, all of my authority. You can take my land. You can remove the kingship. You can take my crown. If I have the presence of God, I have everything that I need. And I think for us, I think for us, do we have that same mentality? Or are we more double-minded, right? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, God, it's cool that I can be in your presence, but also, I mean, I really want these things, and I really want to build this life, and I really want to have this position, and I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to kind of, I'm going to think about you from time to time, and I'm going to go to church on Sunday, and you know what? On my way out the door, I might even throw up a prayer for you to bless me as I go to work, and I forget about you, and I accumulate, and I build, and I do, and I just, I'm afraid that so often, like, we relegate the presence of God to, like, this, this blessing that we only need on occasion, whereas the reality is, it's like, we need God's presence at all times, with us always. He is with us always, and we don't separate him. We don't remove him from our lives. That would be double-minded. So, so having a pure heart grants us access to God's presence. I think one other thing that it does to, what it, one other thing that it means to see God is that we get to see God move in our lives. Having a pure heart means that we are creating an environment in which God can work. Now, God is going to do whatever God wants to do. God does things a lot of times that I don't understand. Like God is, and, and we only focus on the negative aspects of that. Like we're only like, oh, I can't believe God would allow that to happen. I can't believe that God would do that. Well, how about all the good things that happen that we didn't deserve and, and all the good things that take place that we have no business being the recipients of, and yet he still does. We never focus on that side of it, do we? Right? And so there are a lot of times that God blesses me and God blesses other people, and, and I don't understand why he does because we don't deserve it. But there are other times where because of this, this pure, pureness of heart, this purity of heart, we are creating an environment in which God can use again, can, can bless us with his presence. And so let me, let me kind of make more sense of this. So, so when we choose to, to create this environment because of our pure hearts, what we're doing is we're just, we're giving God room to move and do things on our behalf for our good and for his glory. Like, and he wants to, like he desires to. It talks about, Jesus tells this story about, hey, even bad fathers give good gifts to their kids, right? How much more then 
Would, would your father, this loving father, this good God that you have, how much more would he desire to do good things in your life? And so what we do by having pure hearts is we, we just give God space to do these things, these good things in our lives, to move in ways that, that we don't deserve, frankly, in ways that we can't explain oftentimes. I heard it said one time that, that God can do more in a moment of favor than I can do in a thousand hours of labor. And that's what we're doing. When we're choosing to live these lives of purity, God will open doors for you that you can't open for yourself. When we choose to live lives of purity, God will move things that you don't have the strength to move. And so it's harder for us because we like to be in control and we like to be the one moving the, the levers and turning the knobs. But Jesus, if we trust him and we just choose to follow him and have this pure heart, he will do more for us than we can ever do, do for ourselves. God's plan for you is always better than your plan for you. And so having a pure heart is how you trust that plan. You're like, God, I don't understand everything. I don't know everything, but I trust you, and I trust that you're good, and I believe that you're going to do some good things as I do that. Psalm, 20, Psalm, 30, Psalm 37, verse 25, we're going to wrap up with this. It says this. And when I used to, I used to read this when I was younger, and I was like, yeah, it's cool. It's good. Uh, now that I'm not as young, I'm like, man, that's real good. Do things mean, you ever have certain things that mean more to you, like as you, you kind of, uh, mature and become more distinguished, or you get old. Psalm 37, 25 says this, I've, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. So, so whenever I read that verse, I always, for whatever reason, I kind of go into my, uh, my TD Jakes. I'm like, but I'm not going to do it. I might do it. I'm not going to do it. But I, I have been young and now I'm old. I, I started out and I believed and I trusted that God was going to do some good things in my life. I believed that if I had a pure heart and I pursued him, that he would, he would provide blessing in my life. I'm not pursuing the blessing. I'm pursuing him. The blessing is a byproduct of pursuing him. So I was young and I believed that and I started to live that out. And as I've gotten older, I now see that everything that I believed about him was true, that he is a good God that loves his people, that he is with us always, even to the ends of the earth, that he is Jesus, he is God with us, Emmanuel, that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. As I believe these things and I start to trust these things, over the course of time, I see that these things are true. I understand that the righteous are not forsaken and his seed does not beg for bread. And what's so powerful about this is like this is a blessing, it's a byproduct product of having a pure heart. Righteous is kind of another way of saying pure, right? So I have seen, I have not seen the righteous forsaken. I have not seen the pure in heart forsaken. God provides, God takes care of, God moves if we give him an environment to do that. Sometimes we just got to get out the way. Sometimes you, you and I, as much as we like to control things, sometimes you just need to, to hand, I'm, I don't ride horses, but I'd imagine like handing the reins over. Uh, maybe Jesus take the wheel is a more modern expression, right? Like let him take control. Stop trying to control everything. You just focus on having the right heart. You focus on having the right intentions. You focus on having the right attitude and trust God with the outcome. Let God move, create an environment for God to move. And I think that having a pure heart does just that. that. That is a beautiful attitude, somebody who has a pure heart. Amen? Let me pray for us.
Jesus, we're so thankful. So thankful for a God who didn't just talk about it, but demonstrated it. So thankful that you didn't stay on the mountain, but you came to be with us, that you walked among us. God, that you struggled with all the things that we struggled with, that you were tempted like we were tempted, yet without sin. The ultimate pure of heart. God, let that inspire our journey. God, help us to desire to have hearts that are more pure. God, maybe we realize that we'll never be perfect, but God, maybe we can just get a little bit better as days go by. Jesus, I want to pray specifically for anyone who struggles with the double-mindedness. God, it is such an easy trap to fall into where we talk about things in, in one area of our life and we live a little bit differently based on maybe pressures or, or we feel that we have to conform to the group that we're in. God, give us an understanding of our identity in you that doesn't change based on the circumstances that we're in, that we are who we are because you are who you are. Help us to have a single-minded approach to life. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.